0: Thanks for tuning in to Walking by Faith. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on our app. Merry Christmas! Today we're looking at all things that happened after Jesus was born. The visit from the shepherds and the magi and their importance to the testimony of Jesus. Let's jump right in.
1: They want to take a scripture from Luke. Second chapter, the fifteen verse, beginning there. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with host and found Mary and the Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So the first thing that that I want to mention is that when the shepherds came, They worshiped Jesus. They saw Jesus. But they left, and they began began to tell everybody what they had seen and what they had heard. I I really believe that, that Christmas, well, I know this. Christianity is built on two supernatural events. The incarnation, Christmas, and the resurrection, those two events. But it does It does us really, it does us personally good, but it doesn't do others good if we take what we know and we keep it to ourselves. The shepherds did not take what they had seen and heard and kept it to themselves. They went out and they were big blabbermouths. They were telling everybody what they had seen and what they had heard. I think it's interesting that the day the church is born, it's Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. People are speaking in tongues, but everybody's hearing them in their own language. And the Bible says that what they heard, they heard them speaking in their own tongue the wonderful works of God. So often what we think is that we need a theological argument. But the truth is, almost nobody's interested in your theology. But what people want is they want to know about a relationship. People want to know that there's help. People want to know there's a God who cares. People want to know there's deliverance, there's peace. People want to know what God has done. And the greatest thing that you and I can do is tell people what God has done for us. Uh, We ought to at least have concern for our own family, right? Anybody? I mean, you got together with them, I hope, over, the, over this time. And, and, and by the way, that's one of the things that fasting is supposed to do. By the way, you're supposed to get right with your family. And it, it, it says, uh, let, let it, different translations say it differently. It says, but one translation says, don't turn your back on your own flesh. In other words, you got something wrong in your family with somebody, get it right. You know, the Bible says it's hard. To, to say that you know God whom you have not seen when you can't get along with people who you have seen. So we need, to get thing, we need to get things right. I think it's interesting that Rahab, now in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are coming into the promised land and God said, I'm gonna give you that land. And Rahab recognizes that God is the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. And she helps the two spies that have come to the city of Jericho And she says, look, she says, I need you to give me a promise for me and my father's house. She says, for me and my family. You know, when we get right with God, we should not just be concerned about ourselves, but we need to be concerned about others and telling people what God has done for us. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You say, like, what does that mean? That means that what Jesus has done for others is like a prophecy of what he will do again. See, when God has done something for you, it's it's for you, but it's not just for you. Because when you share what God has done, it literally, it creates faith and expectation and an anointing comes to do what God has already done in in fact the word the the word testimony in its original it actually means do again see what God has done for you he doesn't want to just do for you he wants to do it for somebody else and as you and I share what God has done for us expectation faith comes and an anointing comes for that same thing to happen again in Psalm 78 in verse 41 it says yes and again." Yes, excuse me, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So God wanted to do more for them than what he was able to do. But their expectation of what God would do for them limited what God could do for them. Uh, Verse 42, they did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed Them from their enemy when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoran, turning their rivers into blood and their streams that they couldn't drink. He sent swarms of flies among them and devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to caterpillars and their labor to locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. Now, what's happening is this He's saying the reason that they limited God was because they didn't remember what God had already done. They didn't look at his testimonies. They didn't look at what God had done in the past. See, when we look at what he's done, it is like a preview of what God wants to do again. Remember, his testimonies, they're they're literally like his do again. It's what he wants to do again in our lives. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings, the deliverance, the peace, the provision. What God has done, he wants to do again. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalms 119, verse 11, I have inherited your testimonies forever, and they are the joy of my heart. He says, I've inherited your testimonies forever. See, the testimonies that we find of what God has done belong to us, and it's a picture of what God wants to do again. Again. It shows his character. It shows his will. All the stories in the Bible, all of those testimonies that we hear, they are to create a faith and expectation on the inside of us. They relate to, God, to who God is, what he's done, and what he wills to do and will do again. They create faith. They release an anointing for that same thing to happen again. That's why Jesus instructed the Jesus, Moses, and I didn't have my coffee this morning. God. And, you know, faith without coffee is dead. <laughs> All right. Moses instructed Israel to rehearse the testimonies. Joshua told him, you take these stones and you put them right here and you show your children and you tell your children what God has done. In Psalms again, 78, that they should make them known to their children. Why? So that their children have this hope in God, that they may set their hope in God and not forget his works and keep his commandments. Our expectation of God is what determines our level of faith. Our expectation of God. And when we don't remember what God has done in our own lives, and think when we don't share what God has done for others, they don't, they don't even have a chance. But it says this in Psalm 78 again. The children of Ephraim being armed, carrying bows. Now, there's this battle going on. And Ephraim is one of the tribes of Israel. And they should be part of the battle. It says, they turned their back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Why did they not participate in what they should have been participating in? They forgot his works and his wonders. And we can sit back and not receive so much of what God wants in our lives and what he wants to do in other people's lives when we don't share what God has done and when we don't remember what God has done. Point number two, Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. What Mary did was she meditated on what had happened. She kept on going over it again and again and again and again. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. The reason? that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So we need to not just hear the word, but we need to meditate on the word of God. In Proverbs 4, it says this, My son, give attention to my words. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we paying the most attention to and incline your ear to my sayings. Um, it is no wonder you're depressed if you are constantly listening to the news. Right? But if you will incline your ear to his sayings, something different will happen. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Make your mind focus the word of God. Let the light of God's word illuminate you more than the light of some screen. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They rule. You're keeping them in the midst of your heart. They rule. You, if you need to separate yourself from somebody because they're taking your eyes away and they're keeping your heart from the word, no, you need to keep them in the midst of your heart. You need to be thinking about them. You need to be meditating on them for their life to those who find them. Their life to those who find them. Now you don't find them just by hearing them once. You find them by meditating on them and health to all their flesh. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Your heart needs to be filled with the word of God because it's out of your heart that are going to flow the issues of life. Uh, One translation says the boundaries what you'll, what you'll permit in your life, what you won't permit in your life, what you'll do, what you won't do, it comes out of your heart. And if you've been putting God's word in your heart, God's word is going to set up those boundaries. Psalms 119, verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Your testimonies are my meditation. We need to be looking at what God has done in the Bible and we need to find out what God has done in other people's lives, because what He's done is what He wants to do again. Now, a definition of meditation is to ponder, to meditate, to mutter, to speak to one's self. How many of you you, you wake up in the morning and there's a verse coming out? That's that's meditating on it.
0: Right?
1: That's meditating on it. So you're going to ponder. Imagine, mutter, speak to yourself, study, talk about. Someone has used the example, and I think it's a good one, of a cow chewing its cud. You're not going to lunch right after this, so we can talk about it. (laughs) But that cow, it eats the grass, right? And then it finds a spot, and it lays down, and it literally regurgitates and chews it all over again. That's what it is to meditate. It's not just what you hear one time. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered and God gave the increase. Now, if all we ever do is just hear the word, it gets planted. But there will be no fruit unless it gets watered. Right? watering the Word is meditating on the Word of God. So it's got to get planted, but then we need to meditate on the Word, and then comes the increase. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said this, pay attention to what you hear. For your standard of measurement, that is to what extent you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, it will be the measure. It will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides who respond. So it's saying it's not just what we hear the first time, but we've got to meditate on that word. Jesus talks to us about the kingdom of God. Uh, it's a, it, it, in in Mark chapter four. Jesus gives this parable of the sower, and he says the sower goes out, and he sows the gospel of the kingdom. He's sowing the word of God. He says, some falls on a path, some on rocky ground, some in weedy ground, and others in good ground. And then he gives the interpretation. And then he talks about, again, how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God, everything in the kingdom works as a seed. It works as a seed. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Even the word of God that lives and endures Forever. So God's word is a seed. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep night and day, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself first the blade, then the head after that the full grain in the head now again jesus says the kingdom of god is like a seed god's word is the seed now notice what it says it says the the earth yields crops by itself it's like automatic it is literally it means automatically so when you put something you you plant a seed in your heart it can be the seed of the word of god and if you let that grow and it gets watered, it will automatically produce. But now, if you're watching some raunchy stuff and you sow that seed in your heart, you sowed it, and it will automatically produce fruit. You see, yeah, but I don't want it, but that's all right. It's coming anyhow, because you planted it. And it's going to automatically produce. Now, when the kingdom of God produces, it produces first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. So in other words, it doesn't, the, the full manifestation doesn't come all at once. It comes little by little. It grows. And then he says, but when the grain is ripened, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Psalms 39, I was, I was reading this this week and, and uh, if you don't, uh, I would, I know a lot of people just have, you know, your Bible on your device, but but I, I like a hard copy. And then you underline it and you write by it. And, and I was reading and it was underlined and there was a bunch of writing by it and I stopped to read my writing. But this is what the Bible says. It says, my heart was hot within me while I mused meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So the word of God gets inside you, right? And it, 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 as you're meditating on it, it starts to burn. It comes alive on the inside of you. And notice what he said, that is when I speak. Then I speak. Then I speak. That's what Jesus was talking about When Jesus said, whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Because for you to not doubt in your heart, it's got to be something that you have meditated on. It's got to be something that's on the inside of you. It's got to be something that's part of you. What you think about, what you meditate on is extremely important. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, meditate on these things. As we meditate, we are watering a seed that's on the inside of us, and ultimately it's going to bring forth fruit. Isaiah 26, verse 3, And you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind stayed on you because you trust in him. We live in a culture where people desperately are looking for peace. But God says, you get my word inside you, and you stay focused on my word. He said, it will produce peace in your life. Number three, the wise men. Um, let me just read Matthew chapter 2, and then we'll talk about it this a minute. When they heard the king, now, a group of wise men, now, all of the the Christmas cards that we got this year all had three wise men. The Bible does not say there were three wise men. The Bible says there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're referred to as magi. Magi typically traveled in in a caravan of 100 to 500 people. Now, when they show up at Jerusalem, The whole city goes into an uproar. The city wouldn't go into an uproar for three people showing up on a camel. The whole city went into an uproar, even the king, because this group of magi have come. They're looking for the king of the Jews. All right. And when they heard the king, the king said, hey, fine. What are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. They talked to the, the, the religious leaders. They say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the king said, he's been born in Bethlehem. They departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the earth went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, now, it mentions a young child. Uh, this, In, in, in the, the original language, it refers to a toddler. Jesus is, is walking around by now. Uh, most scholars believe that Jesus was approximately two years old at this point. Now, these magi, they've come all the way from Persia, right? And... They're looking for the king of the Jews because seven centuries before, there was a Jew that was the head of all the magi in Persia. His name was Daniel. And he had prophesied about a king of the Jews being born. And they knew that prophecy. And so they're coming and they're looking. And here's what they did. They show up two years after the manger scene and they fell down and they worshiped him. They fell down and they worshiped him. Now, the third thing that I want to mention after Christmas is that they worshiped him. And worship is such a powerful, powerful force. Um, the Bible says this in the book of Acts, and it's actually quoting the Old Testament. It says, after this, I will return, God it says, and I will build again The tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again its ruins and I will set it up. Now, most people said, What is the tabernacle of David? I mean, we had Moses' tabernacle, we had had Solomon's tabernacle, we had Zerubbabel's tabernacle, but what is this tabernacle of David thing? Well, David actually just set up a tent because Moses' tabernacle was kind of getting shot. It had been around for several hundred years. And Moses set up a tent, and he put the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, in the tent. And then anybody, listen, anybody could go right in to the tent and worship God. And what David did, if I remember correctly the number, he had 2,400 men in a choir. And 24 hours a day, some of them were in there worshiping God. Now, any other tabernacle that was made, God's presence was in the Holy of Holies, and nobody could go in except the high priest once a year. But it seems like God's favorite tabernacle was David's. And it was just a big open tent, and people could come into his presence and worship him there was direct access to God's presence. Not just once a year, one person, and never without blood. It was a place of praise and worship. Day and night, 24-7, there was worship. And worship is so powerful. You say, why is it powerful? Well, one thing, it delivers us from our enemies. The Bible tells the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 of the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat. And he gets word that three enemy armies, very superior to his own, are invading the land, and they're like 36 hours away. It says, when he consulted with the people, they got together, they prayed, he consulted, and he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, those who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, they sang, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. So instead of sending the Navy SEALs in, or Delta Force, they send the choir. Now that does not sound like a good strategy. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Mount Se- Moab, and Mount Seir, and they were defeated before Israel. So God defeated the enemy, and literally... When they showed up, the enemy was defeated, and all that they had to do was collect the spoil. I'm reminded of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Now, they had literally delivered a girl from an evil spirit, but the result was that they had been beaten, whipped, and they're thrown in prison. Their backs are bleeding. The Bible says their hands and their feet are in stocks, and this has nothing to do with Wall Street. Okay. And it says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners heard them. I, I can kind of see Paul sitting there thinking, uh, you guys, you know, you really blew it. You whipped our backs. You took care of our hands. You took care of our feet. But you didn't do anything with our mouth. Is and they begin to praise God. And when they begin to praise God, the Bible says that God shook that prison with an earthquake and every single person's bondages fell off. The Bible says God wants to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or depression. You know, depression can actually be motivated by an evil spirit. But when we begin to praise God, Begin to worship him. Begin to be thankful for all that he's done. We put on that garment of praise and that depression. It has to go. It has to go. I don't really know how to say this because I don't think that any of us have a really good understanding of the power of worship and praise. It's what actually got Satan in trouble in the beginning. In Isaiah 14, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You were cut down to the ground who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt myself above the stars of God, my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation in the five of the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol. What Satan really wanted, he wanted God's position so he could be worshipped. Because there's so much power in the spiritual realm in worship. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Uh, Yeah. When Jeannie and I lived in Mexico, we did not live very far, maybe less than an hour's drive from Tula, where uh, some of the, the pyramids were. And, and when you would drive by, there were always people on the side of the road, and they'd be selling statues of these, these gods, these ancient gods. And let me just say something. Every idol I've ever seen is ugly. They're all ugly. All right? God's not ugly. But idols are ugly because the devil is ugly. Everything he wants to do is ugly. So what what would happen is people would, and people in different parts of the world to this day, will bow down and worship and pray to an idol. Now, they don't do that because they're ignorant. They get answers. But the apostle Paul said here, they sacrifice to demons. Because when enemies ever somebody's willing to worship, there's a demon that's willing to come and receive that worship. That's what the devil wants. That's what demons want. They want obedience and they want worship. But when we begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it releases a spiritual energy. Let me just close with this. Matthew twenty one. Jesus said, "Did you not hear these saying?" Jesus said to them, yes. Now, the the Pharisees are saying, don't you listening?" They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. He said, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. He's actually quoting the Old Testament, which says that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies to silence the enemy and the avenger. You know, when we begin to praise, when we begin to worship, it shuts the devil up. And God's presence and God's provision shows up when we begin to worship. What were the three things they did? They went about and they told everybody what they had seen, what God had done. Mary meditated on the word of God. And the three kings came. They just did it. The kings the three gifts came. And what did they do? They worshiped. They worshiped. And he is worthy of our worship. See, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You know, culture today tells us that good people go to heaven, but the Bible tells us something different. It's not good people who go to heaven. It's forgiven people who go to heaven. And that's forgiveness we need to receive. The Bible says, to as many as receive him, Jesus, he gives the right to become the children of God. What Jesus said was this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, all of my good things, good works, could not make me right with God, and all of your good works could not make you right with God. There's just one way to be right with God, and that is through Jesus. And we need to receive that forgiveness. So Jesus said, you must be born again. You need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. He's not a thief to steal your heart, a manipulator to trick you. If you have not given him all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. And I want to pray with you today. If you're away from God, not right with God, you're that person who says, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a child of God. I want to go to heaven. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you make these words your own? Say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer. You're right with God. You're forgiven. And I wrote a book to help you keep growing spiritually. I want to give it to you free of charge. Now, there's information on your screen. This book is going to help you keep growing, keep moving ahead in your walk with God. You can download the book. The information is on your screen. Or if you need a hard copy, contact us. We will get you a hard copy. Thank you for being with us. God bless you.
0: If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life, and we're so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our new audio book. You can also find all these things on our app. This book is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. We know there are so many ways to give during the holiday season, but if Walking by Faith has been a blessing to you, we'd like to give you a special opportunity to give back and help us change lives with the truth of God's Word all around the world. To give back, you can donate at walkingbyfaith.tv give or click on the Give tab on our app. Please take a moment to make a year-end gift. 100% of your gift will be used to spread the gospel all around the world. Thank you for your support now and throughout the year. We would love to connect with you. Here at Walking by Faith, we believe in the power of prayer. We have people standing by ready to pray with you. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to chat with someone today. We hope you have a wonderful and safe Christmas and New Year. We'll see you next time. God bless.